This episode comes out like two and a half weeks after we record, so I think I'm okay talking about Stranger Things real quick. <laughs> Go for it. You know that I don't care about spoilers because I'm not going to be watching it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I, I think that the Stranger Things fandom on Tumblr needs to touch grass. Because everyone is calling for the Duffer Brothers' heads because they killed off a character that was telegraphed to probably die at the end of the season anyways. What, did they kill off uh, Steve? Nice boy? No, they killed off They killed off Eddie, who's a new character who was introduced this season too. Oh, they killed off Eddie? Aw, oh, man. And everybody loves Eddie. I love Eddie. He's my new Blorbo. But also, I think it's narratively satisfying that he died at the end of the season, but everyone on Tumblr is like, I can't believe... The Duffer Brothers killed off Eddie, the greatest character ever, and they queerbaited us because Eddie said that St they called Steve Big Boy one time, and that means that he's canonically gay, and they've never had another gay character on the show ever. What's his face is right there. Yeah, and Bull so is Robin. Boy. Yes. <laughs> it's a, yep. Oh yeah, yeah, the Will thing too, because Will Will had this whole like d whole speech about how important Mike is to Elle, but it's so obviously Will talking about his own feelings for Mike, and then he, like, turns away from Mike and is, like, silently weeping, and then his brother Jonathan, like, sees this in the mirror, and then the next episode, Jonathan's like, hey, man, I'm sorry that I haven't been there for you because I've been torn up over my relationship with Nancy and also high as a kite, but I just want you to know that nothing will change the fact that I'm your, your brother and I love you. Nothing. No, not seriously, nothing. Nothing at all, Will. It's nothing. <laughs> Aww. And so it's this whole thing, and but they're, they're acting like Will isn't chronically gay unless he's sucking and fucking Mike. It's kind of bullshit. That's Tumblr for ya. Yeah. I say this as someone who is actively on Tumblr. Tumblr is a black hole from which there will be no satisfaction of consumption of media ever. So. And honestly, it's like, if you compare the Duffer Brothers to other showrunners, they have... Mm -hmm. Miles and miles more integrity and uh, commitment to their craft than others do. Like, mm -hmm. if the Game of Thrones people were writing Stranger Things... Oh my then, god, no. And then they saw the theories about Will being gay, they would have immediately given him a female love interest. Whereas the Duffer Brothers, they saw those people and they are like, we can work with that. And then they did the slow burn and the realistic part of the setting development of the character. Mm -hmm. And whenever they're asking interviews, like, so is Will gay? They're like... Well, we can't say anything for sure, but the fact that you're asking this question is proof that you're picking up on the foreshadowing that we're trying to foreshadow that he is gay. <laughs> and everyone is still like, I can't believe the Duffer brothers are homophobic. <sighs> I also saw a post that said Maya Hawk can't act, and so I now want to just kind of shove that person through a pass the strainer. Which one is Maya Hawk? Robin? She plays Robin. Gotcha. But yeah, it is a, it is a fandom that I am okay with not being a part of. <laughs> Oh yeah, they also they also cried queer baiting because there was one scene earlier in the season where Robin was looking through Nancy's music collection and then that never played out because it was just a background gag, but everyone was acting like it was foreshadowing that Robin would save Nancy from Vecna and then they'd get together, which is like, listen, listen, I love <laughs> sapphism as much as the next person, but also there's a difference between foreshadowing and subtext and a background gag that you read so much into. Truly, I think we can all just take this back and blame it on BBC Sherlock. Yeah, sure. I'm not. I'm not sure if that's 100 accurate, but I'll go with it anyways because I like blaming <laughs> Sherlock for things. <laughs> it's it's probably not 100 accurate, but it's certainly a contributing factor. <sighs> what a mess. Yeah. What a show. <laughs> How about yourself? Did you get into? I mean, I didn't get into t any Tumblr fights yet. <laughs> 
I have, thankfully, I have not gotten into any Tumblr fights. <laughs> I think ever, actually. Mostly because my Tumblr experience has been like, hey, I have these small communities and I have this set of mutuals that I interact with. And I just reblog stuff. And it's pretty, it's a pretty mixed bag of fandom content and um, life tips and hacks for ways to survive the world in which we live. <laughs> but I keep to myself. I don't, I don't make original content on Tumblr, which I think is my saving grace at this point. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to start a podcast? Yeah, let's do it. All right. And we already counted. We did count. So, yeah, we did. Right at the start. Mm-hmm. Before I start rambling. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff this show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love this show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to loser like me. Loser like me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Loser Like Me. This is a Glee recap and review podcast, and today we're doing our bonus content before we start season three. My name is Christina, and don't fuck it up, or I'll kill you myself. Smiley face. I'm Tanner, and to be perfectly frank, I run a specialized hotel and telehold service which provides gentlemen with the company of a young lady for a short while. <laughs> God, I love Clue. <laughs> Today we are watching something that is not Glee, but at least has a Glee alumnus in it, as is our mm -hmm. tradition that we've done twice. <laughs> a couple of Glee alumni, actually. Oh yeah, I guess so. We're watching Smurfs too. Tanner, I'm not strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. <laughs> <laughs> we have to eventually. We have to complete the circle. That has to be our no. our, our series of our season six finale movie. No, that will be the movie that we watch, and that our podcast will detonate in on itself like Kids and Their Dog did. <laughs> what if What if I did Smurf Smarts, and you don't have to watch it, and I'll just explain the movie to you? I think that would still cause me incurable psychic damage. <laughs> okay, well you're already on a Glee podcast, so how much more psychic damage can you take? There's a difference between. Having it be part of the canon and choosing to watch it. <laughs> There's a difference. I can't articulate it, but... Implying that Smurfs is canonical to Glee. We watched Spies are Forever for today. Spies are forever! <laughs> Spies are forever! Forever! So, I, I, can, I can take care of background for this, because I did background research. Okay. I will say, so this is, this is my first full musical of... The Starkid oeuvre. I know it's not Starkid. Don't add me saying it's the Starkid. I know it's not Starkid. It's Tin Cabros. But it's got so many Starkid people, and it's like a cousin of Starkid. This is my first experience with this kind of musical before, mm -hmm. and I regret to say I found it kind of mid. It kind of what? It was kind of mid. That's okay. I would like to suggest that you watch my personal favorite musicals, which are from the team Starkid Tin Can Bros extended fandom, which are Twisted the Musical, Holy Musical Batman. And I've heard that Black Friday is very good, but I also do not do horror, so <laughs> keep that. I mean, it's a, it's also a, a it's a comedy musical too. So how horror can it be? Oh, you might be surprised. <laughs> okay. At least from what I've heard, you can go talk to. I think Lily has watched it on the Cafe Discord. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so 
as as we briefly mentioned, or as I briefly mentioned, <laughs> back in season two, episode six, Team Star. This is not a Team Star Kid musical. They were they are a professional theater group that started at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor in uh, around two thousand and nine. The key players are people that we've all talked about before. Tin Can Brothers is not the same as Team Star Kid, like Tanner said. <laughs> the Tin Can Bros is a three-person creative team at the core. Corey Lubowicz, Joey Richter, and Brian Rosenthal. There is a lot of crossover between the Tin Can Brothers and Team Star Kid works, but it's pretty much like whoever is in LA and wants to participate. The Tin Can Brothers' other works, besides Spies Are Forever, include a series called Choose Our Destiny, which was an improv web series on Project Alpha, which was part of Geek and Sundry way back in the day. God, I've just been teleported seven years into the past. <laughs> they also did a series called Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye, which was a podcast and a web series that had, I, I think, pretty much everybody who was in Los Angeles or the vicinity and has ever worked in capacity with anyone they could find. By which I mean, it looks like it was a lot of fun. And a lot of people they know. And they did a couple of parody musicals based on uh, Scooby-Doo, which I believe are likely inferior to Scooby-Doo and the Lost City of Gold. Uh, and other background, I actually saw an abridged version of Spies Are Forever in 2016, because they did this thing with Team Star Kid. It was like the summer at the 76th Theater or something like that. Where basically, like, they would do a Team Star Kid show for, like, the evening performance and then do, like, an encore um, performance afterward. So I think they called it Spies Are Forever Reloaded. And it was an abridged version of the musical. Like, they cut some numbers, they did a little bit more ad-libbing, that kind of a thing. But it was a lot of fun. And that's all the background that I have on this. Uh, should we go ahead and talk about the actual <laughs> musical itself? Let's talk about the musical Spies Are Forever, a full-length musical comedy by the Tin Can Brothers set during the Cold War period. It is a loving parody of the spy film genre and also a more serious work, allegedly. <laughs> Components of it are more serious. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think it's the only piece of media I've watched where I uttered out loud, Oh, thank God, a Nazi. <laughs> It may, it may be the only piece of media to ever evoke that response from you. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't even know where to start. It starts with Agent Kurt Mega, played by Kurt Mega, because, look, when your acting stage name is Kurt Mega, you have to also make that the name of the spy that you are playing. <laughs> I don't even think that's his stage name. I think that's his real name. Is it his actual name? I thought his... I think that's I... his birth name. Curtis Lawrence Kurt Mega. Oh my god. You have to name your spy yeah. <laughs> Kurt like that, Mega, uh, then. That's the one background thing I know, is that when they were trying to think of a cool spy name for him, they couldn't think uh -huh. of a name better than Kurt Mega. <laughs> Which is fair. Anyways, he's he's from Glee. He played Nick the Warbler. Yes, and I think he'll probably be back in season three for, like, bits, but we're He's not in gonna... season three, and I think he's in season four, too. Oh, okay, cool. I think he's gone by season five, because the Warblers are just a twinkle in the eye at that point. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we have Grant Gustin for one like one day before he becomes the Flash for the next decade. We gotta make a count. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Agent Kurt Mega is being threatened with torture to reveal why he's trying to find some blueprints for a super weapon or something like that. It's Russia, 1957. Ah, okay, thank you. But... There, there's some witty repartee. He keeps beating up the poor Mook who's trying to, uh, who's trying to interrogate him. 
And it turns out that the interrogator is his friend slash partner, Agent Owen Carver. Carver or Carvor? They spelled it C-A-R. It's spelled Carvor because he's British. Yes, he's British. He's played by Joey Richter and he rescues Kurt. (laughs) They make their escape from this facility where Kurt Mega had been locked up as a... Mary Kate Wiles sings Spicer Forever, which is like the intro musical number, I guess. Yeah, it's it's the Bond song. Yeah, it is. And it's good. I do I do think Spicer Forever is a very good song. It is. It is a good song, as evidenced by the fact that we started singing it. Forever. <laughs> forever. And as the Fairly Odd Parents remake has shown, Mary Kate Wiles is a good singer. Why must you bring that up? Why must you bring up my Smurfs too? <laughs> because because I follow Mary Kate Wiles on Instagram and she posted a clip of her singing the Rancho Cucamonga in the springtime. And it, it's a it's a villain song, but it's a very good belt. And sometimes sometimes I'll just be sitting in like doing dishes and I'll just have that my brain will populate that in to fill the silence. <laughs> Here's the thing, is that F- Fairly Odd Parents, Fairly Odd or Live Action Remake, it has Tyler Willottis in it from Single Parents. And he and all the other kids on that show were like the greatest child actors I've ever seen, and it's a huge waste of his talents that he's stuck on this show. Honestly, if the Fairly Odd Parents, Fairly Odd are being a waste of talent does not surprise me. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Owen and Kurt call their handler, who is played by Lauren Lopez, God bless her. Kurt and Owen have a drink as they kill some guys. The scientist, Barb, who is played by Tessa Netting, tries to get them to center the blueprints digitally, like take the picture and send me the picture, but Kurt's getting drunk and doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, he wants to do cool spy stuff, like blow it up with my rocket shoe. Aw oh, man, I grabbed the wrong shoes because they didn't match my suit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, <laughs> they're setting, like, explosive charges to like detonate this facility and they're like how fast do we think we can get out here let's try to get out in less than five minutes and beat our old record and also as they're talking kurt just like drops a bit he was eating a banana on stage and he drops the banana peel on the floor (laughs) of a staircase (laughs) yeah and owen's like come on man and kurt's like what the whole place is gonna be garbage soon anyways he has a point but it's not an especially good point (laughs) As we will see. Yes, because in quick succession, Owen says, Kurt Mega, you're going to be the death of me. They get surrounded by mooks, try to escape. They climb a staircase. Owen slips on the banana peel the Kurt dropped and falls off a balcony. We see him twitching. And there's like a little like reprise of Spies Are Forever called The Coldest Goodbye, which apparently they were trying to figure out what to title the track and they just had it as Spies Are Forever parentheses sad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then we get a time skip <laughs> yes four years later kurt mega has a beard a clearly fake beard <laughs> yes he looks amish <laughs> he does <laughs> a little bit he's in a restaurant he's trying to find his contact for spy stuff and his contact turns out to be the informant which is the name of the character who <laughs> he ordered a whiskey on the rocks and the bartender said, we don't do fancy shit like that here. You're going to have a whiskey with ice. <laughs> and 
then the wait the informant waiter delivers his whiskey on the rocks, which is just a gun and a rocks glass. <laughs> and hands him sensitive papers hidden inside the lunch menu and tells him that there's a secret out in the salt shaker. <laughs> Cause Kurt's like trying to be slick the informant is not slick at all. <laughs> yeah, he also like the the briefing is in the menu and he's like, There's only two copies of these documents and I have the other ones. And then the lady behind is like, excuse me, I can't, I'm not sure whether to choose between the uh, keep them alive so we can use them for information or the other thing. And the waiter's like, excuse me, and grabs them. That's the dinner menu. (laughs) Look at my my funny joke, because the whole time the foreman's like, no one notices that we're doing spy things. And like, see, even she, who was just reading the papers, doesn't comprehend that we're doing spy work here. <laughs> yeah. So then we get into another song, mm-hmm. and it's Kurt singing about his, the alcoholism that he's developed in this time because he's still mourning Owen for the past mm-hmm. four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And apparently this is like his first spy mission back after that, which yes. I feel like this is coming too soon. Like, he's getting back in the game immediately after losing Owen. If I was writing... The, hey, welcome to Not Fire Boot You First. If I was writing Spies <laughs> Forever, I would have had him be, like, drunk and destitute at home, and then they pull him into the spy stuff, and that's where he would have sung the song, instead of him, like, already mm-hmm. kind of being in the field, and then after the scene, immediately going on the mission. Like, I, f- I feel like there's chunks of the first act that are, like, out of order, or that we're missing stuff. Hmm. You know, that didn't occur to me, but I don't think you're off base. Like, they could have gotten some some extra pathos out of this if they didn't. So, we, you know, remember, you know how we were talking about the jokes in the scene? The thing is, these jokes last so long. <laughs> so much of the first act is just extended jokes that go on for, like, two minutes too long. In my opinion. Yeah. I, again, I... I don't like 100% agree with you, but I don't think that your I don't think that your opinion is off base. <laughs> I think the next scene is a joke that goes on for way too long, so long they gave it its own musical number. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair. I th- yeah, this does go kind of long. <laughs> As evidenced by the fact that I had an extremely long paragraph of notes that I took on the scene cuz it just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> and I have so few notes about this whole thing because it just kept going. <laughs> Oh, also, before I forget, there's a line in Spy Again where Kurt sings, I know just where I'm going, me and my partner, Owen. And then he's like, oh, no, wait, I forgot he's dead. (laughs) And we have a sad note. This is where we get the note inside the salt shaker from Cynthia, the director of the spy agency that says, don't fuck it up or I'll kill you myself. Smiley face. I like how on the TV shows page for this show, they point out like, um, actually, emoticons were popularized until the 80s. It's like, it's Team... St- it's it's not even Team Starkin. It's Tin Can Bros. What more do you want? <laughs> if you want accuracy... Actually, I can't think of a single musical that has, like, 100% historical accuracy. Anyway. <laughs> the next scene is just setting up the... We meet the deadliest man alive, who is played by Joe Walker. And there's a bomb guy who comes in and tries to sell him a bomb in a song called Somebody's Gotta Do It. Yeah, because the bomb guy Sergio, he's a he's a family man. He has a sings a whole song about how he sells weapons, but also he loves his wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an entire song. It, yeah, it's it's a long song, and 
there's a bit in there about the two thugs or the two mooks who are played by Lauren Lopez in this instance and Tessa Netting and they they try to be the deadliest band in the world but they I don't know they they kill each other yeah okay so what I did write this down because I thought this was a funny joke because it's right at the beginning before the eight hour long song is that Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. one of them is like I'm sick of him being the deadliest man alive just because he has a, a 1,147 kills. Well, how many do you have? 1,146. And then th- that one stabs the other one. And now they're tied they're like, ah, looks like it's more like the deadliest man alive. And then the deadliest man alive stabs Lord Lopez. Like, ah, 1,148. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that part is funny. <laughs> and as they're, as they're doing their little bossa nova dance, we see Agent Kurt Mega chiming in from the balcony about how he's trying to screw his courage to the sticking place and then we also see mary kate wiles's character a lady spy sneaking into the top and he's like wait who's who else is here <laughs> someone trying to kill steel but they end up both trying to confront the deadliest man alive and the bomb seller but there there's banter deadliest man alive gets away lady spy who hasn't been named yet takes the bomb and kicks Kurt in the balls and runs away. Yep. <laughs> he gets kicked in the balls a lot in this musical. Uh, but he does manage to grab the uh, card of the hotel she's staying with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he does, he doesn't have the bomb, but he has a lead. And then he goes crawling back to his, to the head of the agency's office. And we see Cynthia, who is played by Lauren Lopez, and who apparently was like actually like smoking actual cigarettes on stage. Which yeah, is like appar- apparently a choice. She, she wanted to have her voice actually go that low. Which, like, I don't necessarily agree with her decision, but I respect that it was a choice that she made as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Kurt comes in and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, Richard Nixon, I have to hang up on you now. Yeah, My okay, lunch order got a, delivered. It was a really extended joke about how she's on the line with Nixon, but again, it just goes on forever and ever. And, like, they're playing coy, and it's supposed to be a big reveal that it's Nixon she's on the line with, but it's, like, kind of obvious from the start, mm-hmm. and it just keeps going. And this is the point where I just clock the run speed up to 1.25. Yeah, that's fair. But once she gets off the phone, she greets Kurt with a great line, which I wrote down, which is, How in the flippity-flappity-fuck did you manage to screw that up? They let Lauren do a lot of swearing in this, and it's delightful. Yeah, she does have the best lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perhaps uncoincidentally, Lauren Lopez and Jerry Richter at that point were in a relationship and are currently engaged. Good for them. Yes, they're adorable. And then it turns out that it's a good thing, in fact, that the deadliest man alive did not get the bomb because nobody knows who he, who he's working for. Then Cynthia tries to run a drill with Agent Kurt. Like, she has her secretary come in and try to abduct her. And she's like, this is not a drill! a drill and he freezes and then she's like it was a drill you failed (laughs) she does a lot of like random testing his metal and he fails every single time (laughs) yeah she's like here have some coffee and then while he he drinks it and then she like lists off the mission parameters and then she says by the way that was poison repeat back to me everything i just said (laughs) (laughs) he he stammers out the basic gist of what she says and she's like okay fine here's your antidote and She's like, I believe in you! And he's like, you poisoned me! Also, his mission is to go to the World Peace Gala in Geneva, which is introducing the Democratic Republic of Old Socialist Prussian Slavisia to the the world stage, I suppose. Yes, they're princes of buffoon. Yes. And then she gets a musical number called Eyes on the Prize, which is basically 
don't screw up and die on me or I'll kill you myself. <laughs> and at the end of it, she shoots Kurt in the chest to confirm that he's wearing a bulletproof vest. Um, and then we get the lab scene, I think. Yeah, which is also just another extended gag about how Kurt's uh, just a big dink to everyone. Yeah, he drinks some stem, some stem cells that were in a test tube. <laughs> he also just yeets a hard drive. Yeah, <laughs> he basically makes the lab assistants' lives terrible by ruining their research. <laughs> and we meet again, officially, Dr. Barb Larviner, the scientist played by Tessa Netting. And she is... I'm going to say overtly attracted to Agent Kurt Megan calls him Mr. Sexy Pants. <laughs> yeah, she's extremely down bad and it just completely goes over his head. Yeah, but she does get a patter song in Pay Attention where she's like running through all the inventions that they've made to help him, to help Kurt Mega, but also I guess the other agents, if they're here, that's fine, in protecting the world. <laughs> and the nerds just want to be respected and acknowledged. <laughs> I think that this song should have been, it's a patter song, it should have been faster. That's true. I was really bopping to it until I realized I still had it on a higher speed playback, and I was, well, wait a second, what does it sound <laughs> like at normal speed? Oh, this is really slow. Mm -hmm. I think the patter parts weren't good, could have gone a little bit faster, but they also have like the refrain is, the refrain is like sung regularly. And as they do this musical number, they have all of the lapses carrying around silver platters with cool equipment on it. And we get, in order, watch laser, pen with acid spray, shoes with knife in the heel, fireproof, waterproof tuxedo that does not increase your libido, sorry, exploding chewing gum, camera glasses, liquor flask, poison dart ring, lie detecting hearing aid, cane gun, umbrella gun, candlestick gun, coffee cup gun, apple gun, paperclip gun, zipline belt, and cloaking underwear. I just think it's fun bits with props. <laughs> yeah. And as he leaves, he's like, cool, thanks for all the toys. I won't ever kiss you, Barb. <laughs> That's something that will never, ever happen. But yeah, so this is, this is my thing, is that I think we should have gotten, af after the opening scene, we should have gotten Kurt being sad, then getting the call to come back, then him meeting with Cynthia, then the lab scene, then the failed bomb theft, and then go from there right into the next scene. Okay. I think it would have played out a bit better in that order. I could, I could see that. I can see that. This is like me learning a couple of days ago that apparently in Breath of the Wild, they just like completely like cut and pasted two continents into different or two areas into different parts of the continent in Hyrule. They're just like, nope, we just took this part and put it over here instead. <laughs> so maybe they did that with this, with the, with the plot of the musical. <laughs> no way to find out unless anyone from the Tin Can Brothers is listening and wants to offer insight. Yeah. I'm not trying to say I'm better at writing the movie. I'm just saying if I had been in your shoes, this is what I would have done, in my opinion. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Respectful. I think Barb has a little song, and then we just cut to the casino, which is Richmond's Casino, Monte yeah, Carlo. Yeah, Barb has like a little reprise of the Pay Attention song, mm -hmm. which is about her feelings for Kirk rather than just all the gadgets and gizmos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, then we go to the Richmond's Casino in Monte Carlo. Yes, and there's a whole song about how casinos are sexy and mysterious. C cards, mm -hmm. liquor, and pussy galore, all begging for a taste. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, okay, sure. I know that's a James Bond reference, but... <laughs> like, and also, I know... <laughs> far be it for me to say, hmm, this musical has too many songs in it, but this felt like a song just for the sake of there being a song. 
Mm-hmm. It's a song that is interspersed with different, like, with, like, vignettes of plot. Like, we see scenes where Agent Kurt Mega tries to talk up Lady Spy, who we find out her name is Tatiana. So, she's no longer Lady Spy. He tries to talk her up by ordering a white by ordering a white Russian hold the vodka, which is just a glass of cream. Yeah. <laughs> and he's an ass to to the waitress when he he's like he tries to get her attention by snapping at her to look cool and she's like I'm not a dog. I'm helping out my coworker because my coworker dropped sick because you hit him with a poison dart. I'm yeah. a human being. <laughs> and he's like oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hell yeah. Good job, waitress. Yes. It's like, you can, you can tell this is written by people who have been in customer service. The service industry, yeah. And food service like, industries, yes. Um, also. But then also, they decide to take a page from Dracula and introduce a Texas man. <laughs> they do. He's played by Joe Walker. His name's Richard Big. His friends call him Dick. The joke is he's from Texas. The joke is also referencing Team Starkid. Because did you know they had a whole musical called Me and My Dick? I did. <laughs> Joe Welker played a talking penis. <laughs> I, I like, okay, I, yeah, I know about Me and My Dick. I didn't know this was just a reference to Me and My Dick. I thought this was just a reference to the concept of cowboys. Uh, I feel like it was probably more on the side of internal reference. And also we need someone to foil Agent Kurt Mega's attempt at being suave. <laughs> Like, hey, let's get let's get Joe in. He'll do a Texas accent. Okay, I guess that's the purpose, but it just that's not what it felt like. It felt like they're just like, haha, wouldn't it be funny if Joe Walker was Texan for a solid ten minutes? I feel like I need to apologize to you because I I thought this would be more fun than it was, apparently. The second act I liked mostly. Okay. Listen, we do a glee podcast. You don't come out here to have fun. And I will say also, I had fun. this is still better than a lot of episodes of Glee. That's true. That That is also not an especially high bar to clear. But it's also, Glee has a certain manic energy that we can just grab onto and use it to hang glide through the entire thing. This was, the fact that there was a lot of effort put into it, but it didn't always land, <laughs> meant that sometimes it was just kind of there. Does that make sense? I think so. Like, they're clearly- I'm, I'm trying not to call them out. This is not a call-out post for the Tin Can Bros. I just feel like they wasted a lot of time on d- jokes that went on for too long, and they could have put more time into developing the characters. Like, I feel like the second act is really heavily loaded with all the character development that could have been more evenly spread out through the show. Like I said before, I, d- I, don't, I don't think that you are wrong. <laughs> you, you are making good points. Maybe, maybe I went into this with the wrong head because, like, the thing said they're trying to be a little bit more serious. And it's like, okay, waiting for the serious. I'm waiting for the serious. I'm waiting for the serious. And they're still waiting. <laughs> but yeah, after the extended cowboy gag, Tatiana finally leads him up to her room where the deadest man alive is waiting to capture him because she and deadliest man alive are both working for Dr. Baron von Nazi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, I am of the opinion that the Nazi party is only acceptable when you're joking about how terrible they are, or being explicitly, being very explicit about how terrible they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As such, I believe that this one lands in a similar <laughs> manner to Helsing Ultimate Abridged. <laughs> also, it never would have worked if we didn't have Brian Rosenthal, actual Jewish man, <laughs> playing yes. Dr. Baron von Nazi. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
He is a complete and utter buffoon. Yeah, like, this is when I said, oh, finally the Nazi, because this is when, like, there was actual plot and not just jokes about the concept of spy films. And Mm -hmm. also, the joke started landing for me. Oh, okay. Good. Good? I think that's good. (laughs) Because, like, because the joke is... Like, the, mm-hmm. he, so when Kirk is dragging in front of him, like, the joke is that he's, tr- Baron von Nazi is trying to sing a song about how Nazis weren't so bad, but it's not, like, trying to trick people into saying Nazis did good things, it's listing all the terrible things that Nazis did, and saying, why are people so mad at us about them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he tries to get the audience to chant, the Nazis were not so bad, and some of the audience do, and then Kirk just shrieks, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> It's a very, it's a very Monty Python esque farcical musical number. <laughs> yes, it's it's very it's very strange love or uh, Rocky Horror. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Or should I say, Doctor Von Scott? What exactly <laughs> are you implying? That he's a Nazi? Wait, is that an actual line from Rocky Horror? Okay. Okay. So, so the Von Scott. So Frankenfurter says, Dr. Scott, or should I say, Dr. Von Scott, and then uh, Von Scott does like a reflexive salute and then smacks his arm back down. And then the oh, callback, no. which in, in the stage production I go to, or I did go to before the world ended, um, they mm-hmm. would have the, the ensemble in the back of the stage play that would do some of the call-outs so that like the audience wouldn't feel weird if they were the only people doing it. Because sometimes, like even if there's a lot of people, it takes a little bit of like moments before people start actually yelling at the theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there would be the whole ensemble like hiding in the rafters in the background. And yeah, so uh, Von Scott would say, what are you implying? And then the call-out, which then the ensemble does in the background, is that he's a Nazi. Because they would also do the asshole slut whenever they said Brad and Janet. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) Today in media references, the Christina doesn't get because she hasn't seen it. Uh, Anyways, uh, it's also also a little bit Spaceballs because Dr. Baron von Nazi is talking to a Hitler puppet. Yes, a hand puppet. And apparently he's Hitler's nephew. Yes. It's it's like a Muppet. (laughs) Yes. As far as puppets go in the greater in the greater extended universe of Team Starkid and Tin Can Bros puppetry, this is a D rank puppet. <laughs> the show was great, the puppet was terrible. <laughs> yeah. And he's clearly shown to be like an t- to be very very childish, very silly. And he reveals that his great his great plan is that he wants to bring back the Nazis by working with the Americans? I wasn't sure on this part. No, he he wants to bring up the Nazis by uh, infiltrating the new Democratic Republic of old socialist Prussian Slavinsky. Yes. And they're going to kidnap the prince, threaten to blow up the capital with the assistance of the deadliest man alive. And they're also going to build a Nazi super castle on a plot of land that deadliest man alive picked out. Put a pin in that. Yes. That's important. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And also apparently he's trying to get Tatiana to be his girlfriend, and also is holding her family's safety over her head. Yeah. And he does say a great line then, which is, Mr. Deadliest Man, please show our guest to his death. Yeah, and so then he leaves, Tatiana leaves after like, because she thought she only had to do this one mission and she'd be free, but he's like, no, I'm going to keep you employed indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, and then the Deadliest Man Alive fucks Kurt Mega to death. Yes. This musical number is called the Torture Tango. 
where he d- he does a lot of torture things that I don't think we necessarily have to go into. Tatiana has a crisis of conscience about I like do I do I save Agent Kurt Mega and then she decides yes yeah, she's going to. She knocks out Deadly Man alive and they do the arm brace thing that Kurt and Owen did at the beginning and he's like wait I haven't done an arm brace since my partner who died <laughs> and he free- he freezes and gets shot and that's the act break. <laughs> Which is a good spot to do an act break. It is, it is. And then we come back on a bit that goes for a long time. <laughs> this one wasn't as bad, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, it opens with the World Peace Gala in honor of the independence for the new Democratic Republic of old socialist Prussian Slavinsky, where mm-hmm. they're like, one television personality is there uh-huh. to interview everyone about how they love the prince in a number called We Love the Prince. His name's Vanker Borschtit. <laughs> yep. And, uh, ever, like, this whole musical number is like a parade of partygoers, including Cynthia, and a special appearance by Vladimir Pupin. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> it's jokes. It's still funny in 2022. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and they all get interviewed and say that he's great, and then as soon as the camera's off them, they say that he's an idiot. <laughs> and Prince Fjorgen walks out when cued and he is played by Corey Lubowicz, who is one of the writers and who is the writer and director of the Tin Can Bros. Yes. Often the role was shuffled around to just other guests that weren't part of the nine other people in the cast. Oh, I didn't know that. Apparently, at one during one night, the prince was played by, let me double check this, Lauren Lopez's Chihuahua Diane. That does not surprise me. <laughs> Apparently in their uh, one of their other works, Wavered Guide for the Untrained Eye, uh, Diane plays the mayor of the city. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he kind of just is there. Agent Critmaker shows up with Tatiana and Cynthia's like, like, how the fuck are you here? Why are you here? And they do flashbacks, which is like, it, which is kind of fun technically, because like, she's like, how did you get into this situation? And then they drop the stage lights and they like have Kurt like run around to different parts of the stage to show that Barb was patching him up in an elevator and he was resolving to stop the kidnap plot by going rogue. And they'll like go back to the present day and they'll have another flashback and go back and forth. <laughs> it's theater sprints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so Kurt really wants to like basically announce the plan to have the prince assassinated or kidnapped and that he's if cynthia doesn't help him he's gonna go rogue Mm -hmm. Uh, but like the problem is everyone already wants the prince to be kidnapped or killed yeah no one likes him he he gives a note to cynthia's secretary susan who's played by the Mm -hmm. same guy who plays the informant which means that i quite often thought that they were the same character which like a lot of characters in this (laughs) play are double cast but you know yeah yeah. S- Susan and the informant are so similar to each other. I for real thought that they were the same character. Mm-hmm. But anyways, mm-hmm. he, he gives a note to Susan to give to Cynthia, and the note just says, I'm going rogue, and Susan eats the note and says, no way. <laughs> yeah. And Kurt then, does, he shows how much he's going rogue by punching out the MC, stealing the microphone, and telling the entire assembled group of guests that the Nazis are trying to kidnap the prince, and I asked the Americans and the Russians both for help, and neither of them wanted to do anything about it. And then we cut to Baron von Nazi and the Deadliest Man Alive on the on the high school musical balcony. <laughs> this is not what I want. This is not what <laughs> I. It's not found. what I planned. 
And instead they decide they're just going to assassinate the prince. <laughs> yeah. And so they do. Bye, Cory. Oh, how would that have worked with the dog? Um, just kind of... <laughs> they they get Lara Lopez off stage and then hand Diane to her through the curtain. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it also helps that I think the MC was kind of hanging out with the prince, so... That would have made it easier with, like, you know, Lauren and Joey's dog being held by them and handed off. <laughs> but it still would have been funny. Yeah. Maybe there's, like, a fan cam <laughs> of Diane's appearance as the prince. <laughs> but yeah, so between that and, you know, Kurt still only being barely patched up from getting shot. Because, yeah, they, they, they don't ignore that. Like, that's part of the flashbacks is that Kurt's being supported by Barb in the elevator because he has been wicked shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shot in the side. We see the blood squib. <laughs> yeah. And he and Tatiana decide they're going to go flee to a safe house. And the MC is put on television. And he says, I think it was a plot by the Americans and the Russians. And the Baron steps in to offer his assistance in rebuilding their government. <laughs> and then we instead go to, uh, we go to Agent Mega's safe house, which is the safe house that he bought for his mom in, was it in the Bermudas? Uh, I want to say Guadalupe. Maybe, that, that sounds about right. But his his mom was played by Lauren Lopez. She is overbearing and embarrassing. She, in two breaths, she offers to clean Tatiana's gun and fabricate passports for them. But also, hey, look at these baby pictures of Kurt. <laughs> and she assumes they're going to get married. Yeah. Then there's lots of Kurt going, Mom, stop. And then Tatiana sings a song. It's a really short song. I bet it could have been longer. But it is basically mm-hmm. about how she has the same backstory as Black Widow. She was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. taken to the KGB and trained as an assassin from four, as the age of four years old. When working as a killer finally became too much, she could only escape by abandoning everything, including her family. And she hoped mm-hmm. that working for Dr. Baron von Nazi would allow her to erase the files that connect her family to her so that they could all flee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, that's it. It's a, it's a short song, but it's nice. <laughs> Well, and see, the thing is, I think it could it could have been longer, and it also could have incorporated some of the stuff that Kurt, Agent Kurt talks about in, like, right after it, where he explains his own past and hang-ups about Owen and returning to the field to her. That could also have been a song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I forget what, like, the, the connecting elements of this are, but the next one I had was just the next song, which is doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, she touches his hand, and then they sing a whole song about how oh, we should engage in the stereotypical hetero-romantic spies-falling-in-love trope. Mm-hmm. And then they they do terrible flirts with each other. Yeah. They have no chemistry. Yeah. They... Yeah. Also, he's... When they try to kiss, Kurt does the, the thing that uh, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield did, where he's just like... He's like, this kiss must involve teeth. <laughs> They try to kiss, it doesn't go over well, and then we cut to Mrs. Mega, who is like, Yeah, they're gonna fuck! <laughs> and then Kurt and Tatiana are like, I'm sorry, you are not my type. And she's like, yeah, I was kind of picking up on that. <laughs> and then they're like, but let's be friends. And they're friends, and they hug. And it's platonic, and it's nice. <laughs> but yeah, there's... <laughs> There, There is friend chemistry. There is not romantic chemistry, which is good. And then we get a little interlude from, from Mrs. Mega, who is singing, and she's like, it's it's a reprise of the song, Pay Attention, but this time she's like, who do you think we're planning your wedding? 
and she holds up a little garland she made that has like boy and girl holding hands with heart between and it's like oh honey (laughs) (laughs) but it's adorable i mean the craft is adorable but it's just like oh oh mrs mega you need to actually talk to your son yeah it's the 60s or 50s i forget which time frame it's 61 uh it's 1961 (laughs) yay anyways after that oh right we didn't say the quiet part out loud kurt's gay yes agent kurt mega is gay I don't know yes. about real Kurt Mega. He has a wife, so probably not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, which is which is also why he's so traumatized by Owen's death, because they were partners, but also partners. Exactly. Anyways, after that, we then get trite man in dress joke. Yeah. See, it's funny because he was wearing a dress, but he had a mustache. But he also tucks. Ha <laughs> Yeah. Can I just, t- so Tin Can Bros also did another uh, show called The Solvent Squad Back in Action, which is a parody of Scooby-Doo, and I was mm-hmm. like watching it, and I was like, oh, this is fun. I can suggest it to our friends who also like Scooby-Doo. But in the very first song, there's another joke about a, a man in a dress, and it's like, haha, it's funny, because women don't have penises. Like, that's that's the, the quote from the song. Oh I'm my like, god. You guys might want to take a step back and not yeah. have jokes like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Hey, this is a quick inter- interstitial moment, uh, because we just found out that the actress playing the informant and in Susan is trans. Yes, um, so major apologies to Esther Falick. I did not- Okay, well, I don't think she was out during the show, and in my opinion, it's still not a great joke, Man in Dress. No, no, Man in Dress is not a great joke, but Esther, I'm glad that you are- I'm, I'm glad that you are yourself. Yay! Also, your headshot on the Team Star Kid wiki looks absolutely great. Oh, I need to see that. It's very old Hollywood. I believe it. Let me see if I can find her page. Oh, I found it. Oh, yeah! Very very old Hollywood. Very, like, dramatic pin curls. Good for you. But yeah, so- sorry about the mix-up. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you were okay when going through that joke. Yeah. Yeah. And hope- hopefully, going forward, the Tin Cam Bros stop making jokes like that. Yes. I think she has continued to do acting work. I don't know if it's in the capacity with Tin Can Bros or Team Star Kid, but I know that she is still acting. Awesome. Yeah. So our bad, and also congratulations. Yay. Yay. Okay, scene. scene. Anyways, the, the, the man in the dress is the informant. Yes. Not Susan. I mm-hmm. thought it was Susan, but it's just the informant. Yeah. Barb is also there. Yes. The informant has a monologue about how he's been he's he's been taking on different undercover identities for so long that he doesn't know who he is anymore. <laughs> Which kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, but like it did. sure, fine. It did come out of nowhere. <laughs> anyway, Barb's got a bag of spy toys and they don't know if they're gonna make it out alive, so let's let's get wicked drunk and sing a song about drinking. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought this was gonna like play into the final act where they'd all be too drunk to actually foil the plot. And also That's played to the fact too. that, like, Kurt was trying to, like, stay on the wagon because he's been an alcoholic for the past four years. But no, it's just a joke about how this is our last shot. And also, shot, 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 Everybody! But yeah, that's basically all it is. Tatiana's the best drinker out of all of them. Barb tries to lech on to Kurt. The informant is there. The informant tries to lech on Barb. Oh, Yeah. I forgot that. But yeah, and it's just a drinking song and then it's over. Yeah. The music, the, like the music, the instrumental part, I thought was fun. But yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's just drinking. It's fine. 
Anyways, back in the New Democratic Republic of Old Socialist Prussian Slovinsky. Yes, I'm going to say the full title as many times as I can. Good. The Baron is talking to the diplomats and government people. And the diplomats of uh, the, what was it? The New Democratic Republic. The New Democratic Republic. Republic of Old Socialist Russian, Prussian Slovinsky. Yes. He's talking to them and they mention that surprisingly, suddenly, everyone related to the royal family has dropped dead. <laughs> Today. Yep. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> but also everyone left of like the diplomacy are also just as inbred as the royal family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're in grief and the informant runs in to pretend to be the notary and there's a little haha joke because the, one of the diplomats is the person who he was making out with in the previous scene. And they're also all too stupid to realize that he's some other guy and they're like, I've known this man since I was a child. Yes. So the notary comes in and Baron von Nazi tries to persuade them all to uh, accept accept Nazi remnant as their governmental system. And they literally agree to they they literally play along with a song and dance and they notarize and sign the land deed that the deadliest man alive was holding on to, which, again, he picked. But the deadliest man alive smells a traitor and is like trying to do like fee fi fo fum like between the three people at the table the two diplomats and the informant and before he can kill anyone kurt mega and tatiana rush in and the informant grabs his gun too they try to do a standoff but then the deadliest man alive literally backstabs baron von nazi <laughs> and when he doesn't die the first time says something about like oh like it too deadliest man alive and he also throws glitter at him <laughs> Oh, really? He's got pocket glitter. I didn't see that. <laughs> pocket glitter. But yeah, and he just, he gets stabbed enough times that he finally dies. <laughs> and there's some monologues about how, like, the deadliest man alive finds Kurt Mega to be very predictable. And, oh yeah, I knew this was all going to happen. The important thing is I have my land deed. And Agent Kurt Mega's like, I don't understand what's going on here. And the deadliest man alive says, personal history does have its benefits, Mega. Which, surprise, the deadliest man alive is actually Owen, his his ex-partner and ex-partner, who died slash was left for dead. Yeah, see that? And this one did surprise me, because I was expecting, see, I was pretty sure that Owen was going to come back, but I was waiting for him to be revealed as, like, one of the characters played by Joey Richter, and it would be a joke about, like, everyone being multicast mm -hmm. in various roles. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. no, it's That's actually... That's what I thought, too. Yeah, but it was actually the Joe Walker character, and he, like, he does... He puts his hand under his chin like he's gonna pull off the latex mask Mission Impossible style, and he, uh -huh. he does a real good face where, like, looks like his face just kind of... And then he stumbles, like, behind a curtain, and then he comes back out, and it's Joey Richter, like, okay, that was good. You got me mm -hmm. there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is fun. And then Owen is like, Agent Kurt Mega, you're so stupid. You can't follow a plan to save your life. And I've spent the last four years joining Evil Villain LinkedIn to form Evil Villain Facebook. Which is just Facebook. <laughs> it's this network called Chimera, which the informant then has to explain. And Tatiana has to explain what it is to Kurt. Because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't know what a Chimera is. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. We got politicians and nerds and spies. And we're all uniting to form an advanced Nazi information surveillance network to collect and archive state secrets. So, Facebook. Yeah, he's gonna use the Baron's 
Nazi surveillance network and then expand it using the silicon deposit that's underneath the ground that the deed for the castle was on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Tatiana has a part in here where she says, you can't just invade the privacy of civilians without reason or suspicion. And I'm like, eh, too real. <laughs> too real in 2022. <laughs> Heck, too real in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And they... They try to get information out of Owen, like, where is this Nazi surveillance system so we can destroy it? And he's like, well, it's on an island in the Pacific Ocean, but you could either chase me or you can destroy the island. And he says something to Tatiana about don't slip up, which I don't think ever got called back on. That's a joke about the banana. Uh, oh. Because Tatiana is Kurt's partner. And he's like, don't slip up, Tatiana, on a banana because Kurt sucks. That's the implication. Yeah, yeah. And also he kills the informant who yeah. dies who dies while trying to say the whole na- the whole name of the old Democratic Republic of I forgot the bit. The New Democratic Republic of Old Socialist Prussian Slovinsky. Thank you. Bless you. Um and then we get a fun like montage bit which I thought was delightful. It's called One Step Ahead, but it's got reprises mm-hmm. of Spy Again and Spies Are Forever in it too. Yeah. And I think there's like elements of Eyes on the Prize in there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't surprise me. They they have a car chase where they're in rolly chairs. <laughs> and then they have a speedboat chase where they're holding up cardboard cutouts with tinsel attached to simulate the water. And then they have a hang glider chase. They have a hang glider chase. They have a series of homosexual weapon fights through the history of international <laughs> weapons museums. They're ex- explicitly homosexual weapon fights? Well, yes, because they have duels with quarter staves and swords and rifles and guns. That's true. Every weapon is a phallus. You know that wasn't. I was. I, I wasn't trying to. I know I said homosexual. I should have said homoromantic. It's a cockfight. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. No, you're. You're not wrong. <laughs> they end the song by singing a sound of music parody in the Ruppin, in the in the Russian weapons facility. <laughs> like they sing like so long farewell, leader said goodnight. <laughs> or something like that. While this is all happening, Tatiana is on the line with Barb trying to figure out how to blow up the island, and Barb is also on the line with Kurt's mom, who's trying to get her fridge to work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it turns out that her fridge was unplugged yeah. <laughs> this whole time. I don't think that needed to be there, but it delighted me. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the the final showdown between Kurt and Owen. Kurt tells Owen that the island's been destroyed, and Owen tells him there's multiple islands, and Chimera can't be destroyed just by foiling one plan, and even if Kurt kills Owen, Chimera will still be going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm going to single-handedly dismantle everything you've ever believed in. <laughs> and then Owen's like, no one deserves to have their secrets exposed. What about our secrets? What about the feelings we shared for each other? But yeah, <laughs> Owen is like, those died when you left me for dead. Mm-hmm. And real quick here, there's a part where they, where Owen has the line about like, and talking about how outpaced spies are going to be by the incoming technological boom. And he says like, Kurt Mega, you're a caveman and I've invented fire. And it was delightful to hear that line be said after literally having watched the Team Star Kid musical about cavemen inventing fire. <laughs> Did that come up before or after this? I think it came out after, but like when when I saw the version they did abridged, it was on the night at like it was on the same night as the Firebringer musical was was like being performed. 
And Joey Richter was in both of them. I think Spies Are Forever was in like March of 2016 and Firebringer was July. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the, but this conversation ends because Owen suggests that Kurt try moving on and he says like, oh, fi- like, I'll take your advice. And then um shoots Owen in the forehead and he drops dead. <laughs> yeah, like point blank. That was metal as hell. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's like, damn, talk about a Brad breakup. <laughs> Your ex has been trying to kill you for the last act and a half of the musical. Yep. And then we just kind of abruptly go to Cynthia's office, and I think she's talking to JFK. Yeah, because she was trying phone. to do it. She was trying to do a JFK impersonation with Nixon before. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this joke is a lot shorter because she's apologizing for the impression, and then she's saying that she does great impressions. Oh, but they have to be someone from Boston. <laughs> yeah, and then she hangs up because. Uh, Agent Kurt Mega shows up to resign from the agency, and she's like, well, I can't say I didn't see this coming, but it's all about trying to, like, being a spy is about trying to take things in stride and adapting every day to the new situations. And he's like, that that sounds like good. That sounds like a good piece of advice. And she's like, so long, farewell. Also, I gave you a going away present. It's a live grenade, and I already have the pin. (laughs) And he blows up Susan. <laughs> yeah, so I guess in a way Susan died after all. Yes. And then Kurt goes to talk to Barb, and she's got a box of supplies. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry that you got fired because of me. And she's like, no, I actually got promoted. <laughs> he's actually nice to her, but even though she's still down bad and she has no idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would say friend-zoned, but I don't think she realizes that she's being friend-zoned. Yeah. And then he goes to talk to Tatiana and mentions that there's some jerk of a guy who was on the park bench that he was waiting on or whatever. And he gives her and her family passports to get out of Russia and she's like, thank you so much now my family and I can be reunited and nobody's ever going to have my history ever again because I destroyed the only data center. And he's like Well no, she like destroyed the data center that had the information on her family. Oh, I I thought from the expression on his face I thought it was that like the information is like is not being shared locally anywhere like it's all on all the servers across all of the islands in the pacific or whatever i'd like to think at this point in his character development he would have said something if her and her family were still in danger yeah i'll take it i'll take like, it like i think i think the 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 look was because the date like there were other data centers and he has to work on getting rid of the rest but I'm pretty sure that the one, like, her family's info, or the one connecting her and her family, all the, all the pertinent stuff, was on the one that she destroyed. Okay. I hope so. So she's, her, she and her family are safe. Cool. They part as friends. <laughs> they hug, I think. Yep. And then he has the last scene where he's like, I'm gonna get a new suit and take down Chimera. And also, you should trust those around you and trust yourself and ask for help, and you can't break the will of a man. And that's the end of the musical. <laughs> yeah, he he goes rogue and is going to take down Chimera himself, no matter how advanced technology becomes. Mm-hmm. They do a curtain call, and it's a fun little musical number with the curtain call, because they, they sing a song they call Spy Dance, which ends with, Spies are forever. It's a musical about spies. <laughs> <laughs> and then the show ends with the promise that Agent Kurt Mega will return in, Spies are forever too, live and let spy. Which, as, mm-hmm. of, as of now... Is still no word. Yeah. I think they've talked about it a little bit, and they mentioned that, like, yeah, hey, like, we still would like to do this, and 
everybody, I think, who is who was involved except for Joe Walker, who is retired from acting, sounds like they'd be down to do it again or to do a sequel. Yeah. Which, like, good for y'all if you if you do end up making it. And also, if you don't end up making it, I totally get it. <laughs> y'all, I think it's just the issue of after this, they did the Solvent Squad. And then anything mm-hmm. else was going that they were going to do was kind of hampered by the pandemic. And they're only just getting back into live shows again. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. Wayward Guide to the untra- for the Untrade Eye, which was a web Took series. Forever. That, yeah, a web series that was put up because of the pandemic became like their biggest hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just they haven't really had the time to go back to Spizer forever or, or mm-hmm. like the a reason to because everything else is taken off. But I I think that a sequel would be good. I would watch a sequel. I think yeah. my, my review of this show is that if they took out some of... If they played it a little bit seriously, more serious, some of the jokes mm-hmm. or a lot of the jokes would land better. Yeah, I think that's fair. My takeaway was that... This musical makes a lot more sense, but you're not watching the abridged version. <laughs> Were we watching the abridged version? Well, like, well, because when when I saw it in 2016, it was the abridged version that they were doing after everyone had already sat through and performed another whole ass musical. Oh. So it makes a lot more sense when you're watching the whole whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, I I think this was a I I think this was good. Could have been better. Music was generally pretty good. Acting was generally pretty good. Lauren Lopez is a delight. I wish we could have seen the version where they had Diane the Chihuahua as the prince. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> Diane's a delight. The one Chihuahua I trust. But yeah, I do we want to do a best worst MVP? I mean, I, c- I can do Gold Star Song, Gold Star Moment, and Slushy Moment. My Gold Star Song is Spies Are Forever, mm-hmm. the title track. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I agree. Okay. Uh, and my Gold Star Moment is the headshot. <laughs> I think my gold star moment is Lauren Lopez as Cynthia dressing down Kurt Mega and just continually trying to surprise him with drills and <laughs> poison. <laughs> and then my slushy moment is man in dress. Yep, same. It wasn't a good look in 2016. It's not a good look now. It will never be a good look. <sighs> anyway, I'll go ahead and do the outro. <laughs> okay. Loser Like Me is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice, and if we aren't there, let us know and we will work on getting there. We can be found at Loser Like Me Pod on Twitter and at LoserLikeMePod at gmail.com. Next time that you hear us, we're going to be starting season three of Glee. God, you're you remember, right. You remember Glee? No, I've been trying to block it out. <laughs> is season three really that bad? No, actually, season three, I think, is the best season. It's just I Glee is a concept. I've been trying. <laughs> Understandable. But yeah, until next time. Do you want to count or do you want me to count? I will count. Three, e. two, one. And that's, and what, that's you what you missed, missed in the on... New Democratic Republic of Old Socialist Prussian Slovenskia. Spots forever. Just, just go ahead and grab, grab a chair and listen now. now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love this show. Better grab your golden stars and sleeves, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me.